The book of Genesis, chapter 12. Genesis, chapter number 12. And uh, stand with me when you find that place in your Bible. Genesis, chapter 12, please. And follow me as we read God's Word together. I said Genesis 12, 1 through 3 when we made the PowerPoint, but I'm going to expand it a little further today. So follow in your Bible. Now, the Lord had said, past tense, sometime in the past, unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show you. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. I will curse them that, or I will bless them that bless you. And I will curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Cana, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram, passing through the land under the place of Sichem, under the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east, and there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Thank you, and you may be seated. Note with me that Abram at this point is still being called Abram, not Abraham as we know him to be throughout history. But uh, in his earlier days, his name was Abram, which means a high father, high father. So obviously, this was a man that had a lot of honor and a lot of respect in his community and among his peers. The Bible tells us he was born in Ur of the Chaldees. If you look on your map today and find Ur, you'll find it is about 50 or 70 miles from Baghdad in the nation of Iraq. And so, uh, had Abraham been living today, he would have been an Iraqi, <laughs> and we might have been at war with him, who knows? But uh, Abraham was from Iraq. At that time, Iraq, Ur particularly, that part of the world in Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent you read about in history, Ur was a place of very high civilization. We tend to think of these ancients as being people that you know, there were sort of barbarians and semi-civilized. That was not true at all. They had beautiful, beautiful homes. They were able to make tile. In fact, they had this beautiful blue and yellow and red tile, and there are pieces of it that still exist today that archaeologists have discovered, and it was a glaze on that tile that was every bit as pretty as any tile that we can make today. 
Interestingly, in some of those archaeological digs, we found out they had running water in their houses. They've found a way through gravity and little pipes and little conduits that they could bring water into their home. They had bathtubs, of which some still remain in museums of the world. And religiously, they were idolaters. They worshiped idols. The idol that they worshiped, particularly in Ur, their highest god, was the moon god. And so they would attribute what was happening in life to the moon god, who they would worship with little idols that represented him. And we don't know how it came about. The Bible doesn't tell us. It's a mystery. But one day, God came and spoke to Abram. It says here that God appeared to him in Ur of the Chaldees. And so, we have this man. God has now come to him. God took the initiative in coming to him. And God has spoken to him. He heard the word of God. Now, how did God speak to him? Did God speak to him audibly and he heard it with his ear? Did God speak to him in a vision at night, something so vivid that he knew it was of God? Did God make some sort of visible appearance? He did that at times in the Old Testament. How did God appear to him and how did God speak to him? We don't know. I would be speculating if I told you. I just know that God spoke to him. Now, all this month, I've been talking to you about faith. And I hope you're really beginning to get it. And every week, I'm giving you a definition. And I repeat the definition again today. What is faith? Well, faith is first hearing God's word. Did Abraham hear God's word? Yes, it says God had spoken to him. Faith is believing God's Word. Did Abram believe God's Word? Yes, he did. Faith is acting on God's Word, that you obey what the Word of God has instructed you to do. And faith is then resting in the Lord. It's trusting the Lord for the results. And so by every definition of faith, Abraham demonstrated faith, and in fact, we call Not we, the Bible calls Abram the father of the faithful, the father of the people of faith. This is the first man that demonstrated faith in this way that you see demonstrated throughout his life that I want to talk to you about this morning. So number one today, let's talk about faith illustrated because Abram's life is just an entire life that illustrates and demonstrates faith in Almighty God. In verse 1, note with me again, God had said. That's years before when he was living in Ur of the Chaldees. And you know what? The first time that God spoke to Abram, he didn't listen. In fact, instead of doing what God had instructed him and going toward the land of Canaan, Abraham had gone north and he'd gone to Haran, H-A-R-A-N that you see here. So he was born in Iraq, but now he goes north in the opposite direction, in fact, of where he would have to go to obey the Lord for the promised land, as we call it today. And God, what did God say to Abram? Look at it carefully there in verse 1, because really this is one of those pivotal points in all of Scripture. In fact, 
one of the commentators I read from said that from now on, everything in the Bible flows from this, this passage, this text right here. So in verse 1 of chapter number 12, let's see what God said. God spoke to Abraham. That's the Word of God. And He said, get out of your country and leave your kindred, your kinfolks, your, the, the, the people, your family members, and go from your father's house into a land that I will show thee. And so here we see a covenant on God's part. God is making an agreement with him. It's an unconditional covenant. It only has one condition, and that is, Abram, I want you to leave, and I want you to go to a land that I'll show you. God didn't even tell him the land. You talk about an act of faith. He didn't even tell him what land he was talking about. And so God called him with his word. And this is a covenant, an unconditional covenant. Now, the only thing Abram had to do was take the first step, and after that it was all in the hands of God. Now, in verse number 2, I want you to notice something else. God said, I want you to go, leave your country, leave your family, go to your father's house into a land that I will show you. And number 2, I will make of you a great nation. And so we see God make him a covenant, a promise. I'll make you a nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing to other people. And notice, let's break that down a little bit. I want you to see it in detail because it's such an important passage of Scripture. First of all, God promised him a land. He said, I will make of you a great nation. And so he said later on, he said, I'm going to give you this land, and I want you to look over here, and I want you to look over here and over here, and all that you can see and far beyond, I'll give it to you. In fact, somebody took all of those borders of the land that God had promised him, and it's something like 300,000 square miles. It today would include all of Lebanon, all of Syria, all of Jordan, all of Iraq, most of Saudi Arabia, all of Egypt. It's the whole, what we would call the Middle East, and it all was promised to Abram. Abram was given that land by God here. But not only did he give him a land, I want you to notice with me, he said, I'll give you a great nation. I'll make of you a great nation. Now, Abram was 75 years old. I want you to stop and think about that. Abram was my age. And if the Lord came and spoke to me and said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, I'm going to say, sure. Because unbelief would well up in you, wouldn't it? I mean, it would take God to do that, wouldn't it? That ain't going to happen normally. That you're going to see that in your lifetime? Well, that happened with him. I guess there's one other fellow like that. That's Strom Thurmond. He was having babies when he was 100. But that normally doesn't happen, does it? And at any rate... God blessed him with a family. He said, the number of your descendants is going to be greater than the stars in the sky and the sand by the land uh, on the seashore. And then God said, not only am I going to give you a land, and not only am I going to make of you a great nation, but, you know, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to bless you in ways that no man has ever been blessed because People are going to rise up all over the world for all time, and they're going to bless your name. People are going to look to you with honor and respect like they do few other men in history. And you know something else? 
I'm going to even bless the people who bless you. That's why we as Christians today, by the way, we're friends of Israel. We look to Israel today because God said, if you will bless Abraham's descendants, he said, we'll bless, I'll bless you. And God said, I'm even going to bless the people who bless you. And the people that oppose you, that curse you, well, I'm going to curse them as well. They're not going to have my blessing upon them. And then he makes a final promise. Look at the end of verse 3. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Every family on earth is going to be touched if you will just simply confirm our covenant by stepping out in obedience to me, Abram. Well, Abraham did that. Abraham believed him. And so the second part of my faith definition, faith is hearing God's Word. Faith is believing God's Word. Go over to chapter 15, if you will. Chapter 15, and it's still the story of him, and it repeats a number of facts. And in chapter 15, in verse number 6, Abram heard God's Word, and in 15.6, he believed in the Lord. He believed God's Word. And it says, God counted it to him for righteousness. One of the great verses of the Bible, repeated three times in the New Testament. So four times in the Bible it says, Abram heard the Word of God, and he believed the Word of God, and God counted it. The word counted it is an accounting term. And so it means that God put to his account righteousness. He declared him righteous. Now, he wasn't literally righteous. He wasn't a perfectly righteous man. We find out he lied. He deceived. He did several things he shouldn't do. There was sin in his life, but faith was the factor that God was looking at, and God counted Abram to be a righteous man because of his faith. In fact, that word believed right there in chapter 15 and verse 6, you may want to put a little circle around it and draw you a little line out there somewhere. Do you know what that word is in the original Hebrew? It's amen. It's amen. A-M-A-N. They spelled it. It's our word, amen. Which when you say amen, when I preach, then that means you're affirming it. You're saying, and I believe that too. That's why Baptist preachers like for people to amen. When people don't ever amen, you want, do they believe this? And when a fellow says, amen, you say, man, there's one that believes it. And it kind of encourages me. Okay, I'm wondering if y'all were awake today. Okay, so Abraham said, Amen, Lord. The Lord said, I'm going to make you a great nation, give you a great land. You're going to be blessed forever. And Abraham said, Amen, Lord. I'm going to step out on that. I believe that. And notice with me then, after that moment of truth with God, he actually acted on it. That's the third part of our definition. Faith is hearing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, and it's acting on it. So turn back to chapter 12 with me, and let's read how he acted. So... Verse 4, chapter 12, Abram departed. He left Haran where he was staying. As the Lord had spoken unto him, there's obedience. And Lot went with him. That was disobedience. Lot was, he said, leave all your kindred, but he took Lot. And Abram was 75 
when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance. And we know that was a great substance because later on the substance was so great that he and Lot had to separate. The land couldn't even support all of their herds. And so he took his wife, he took his nephew, he took all of his substance that they had gathered and the souls that had gotten in Haran, and they went forth into the land of Canaan, underline this phrase in your Bible, and un- into the land of Canaan they came. Into the land they came, meaning he absolutely obeyed. So here's obedience, or here's faith. Hearing the Word of God, He believed the Word of God, and God counted it to him for righteousness, and he obeyed the Word of God. He stepped out on faith, and he went to the land where God had called him. Now, there's a great principle in that passage right there, and here's the principle. There is no faith until there's obedience. There is no faith until there's obedience. You see, we have a world full of people today in America, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Brother James says, faith without works is what? Dead. He says, if you really believe, you will act. Now, Bonhoeffer, the great martyr of Hitler in the Second War, Bonhoeffer was a great theologian. And I, here's you an opportunity to write something down that is really worth keeping. Bonhoeffer said this, only he who believes is obedient. Only he who is obedient believes. Wow. That's powerful stuff there. That's heavy. Only he who believes is obedient. Only he who is obedient believes. And by what Bonhoeffer said, do you have faith today, my friend? Faith is not saying, I believe. That's a mental assent. That's an agreement. But faith is acting on what you say you believe. It is putting legs on that belief. Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Now, how could Abraham believe like that? Keep your finger there and go with me to 2 Corinthians in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians 4. And I want to show you a verse that's pretty familiar and yet is absolutely extraordinary. It's an extraordinary verse when you stop and really analyze it. Here's my question to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What is reality? What is reality? What is really real? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go down to verse number 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. And that's temporary. They're passing away. And the things which are not seen are eternal. So it sep- the verse separates things into two categories. 
Things that are temporal, temporary, passing away, and things that are eternal, things that are lasting forever and ever and ever. Now, think about the things that you can see, things that your eyes obviously can see, that you can visually see. But that would also include things that you can hear on this earth. It's the senses, if you will. Things that my fingers can touch. I can say this pulpit is real, and I can feel it. I can see it. It appeals to my senses. And so those are things that I can see. And it says, if you can see it, if you can hear it, if you can touch it, if you can taste it, if you can smell it, it's passing away. My house, my car, my clothes, my loved ones physically, the, the buildings here, everything I can think of, money, diamonds, gold. If you can see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, feel it, hear it, it's passing away. It's temporal. What is real? Well, this verse says the things which are not seen are eternal. The Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. God, the Holy Spirit. Heaven. Hell. Think of all the things. What, what really is eternal is the Christian faith and all the components thereof. And what is passing away? This whole world is passing away, 1 John chapter 3 says. The universe is passing away. 2 Peter says that someday the universe will melt with a fervent heat. And yet when you think about it, what do we focus on? Go over to chapter 5 now, 2 Corinthians 5. Go down to verse 7. Well, as Christians, we walk by faith and not by sight. Sight, those things that I can see, taste, touch, smell, hear. But faith are the things based upon God's Word that I hear, I believe, I act on, and that I leave up to Him. Well, how did God do on His promises here? God said, Abraham, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to bless you like no man has ever been blessed. Well, is there a land today called Israel? So he kept that part of the bargain, didn't he? Now, as yet, Abraham's descendants don't have all of that land, or the, the true son, Isaac. That land is still under contention. They're still fighting over there. They've been fighting about it, and they will until the Lord brings all this into being. But God gave him the land. And did God bless him? Oh, I'll tell you, do you know today that every Mohammedan in the world looks with great favor and respect upon Abraham? Do you know that every Jew, they consider Abraham to be the father of their faith? And do you know, of course, that every Christian, we look with great honor and respect to Abraham, the father of the faith. God kept his promise to Abraham. He gave him the land. He gave him, he blessed him, and he made of him a nation, the oldest nation on the earth. 
the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, and they're back in the land. And so God keeps his promises. Promises made, promises kept. One act of obedience by a man one day, 4,000 years ago almost. One act of obedience, and the promises and the blessings are still flowing thousands of years later. Does it pay to serve Jesus? Does it pay to honor God with your life? It does if you believe in reality that the things that last are the things spoken of in God's Word, and the things that we taste and touch and experience in life, they're all passing away. So it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I had a friend, Ron Lewis, he used to come here. He called himself a church consultant for many years, just prior to building this building. Ron was here, and he would come in once a month and work with us on the building of this building and the design and so on. He's in heaven now. But he told me a little thing that he wrote one time, and it was so profound. I wrote it in my Bible, and I've, I've read it so many times. Listen to this. When you come to the edge of all of the light that you have, and you step out into the darkness of the unknown, that's where Abraham was. That's where Abraham was. When you come to the end of all of the light that you have, and you step out into the darkness of the unknown, you can be sure that one of two things will occur. There will be something solid for you to stand on, or God will teach you how to fly. Don't you like that? Man, that is, that's good stuff there. When you come to the edge of all the light that you have in life, in life, you step out into the darkness of the unknown. You can be sure one of two things are going to happen. There will be something solid for you to stand on, or God will teach you how to fly. And that's exactly where Abraham was, and that's where some of you are today. You're dealing with some problem, some perplexity in life, some obstacle, some heartbreak maybe, and you're at the edge of all the light that you have. Well, now's the time for faith. Now's the time you hold on to the promises of God. You read in the Word of God, and you say, Amen. And you say, I believe that. And then you step out, and you watch God in your life. Now, there's another thing I want to point out to you, though, is faith is not only illustrated in Abram's life, but faith was tested in Abram's life. Faith is always going to be tested. Never in the Bible does a person act in faith, but what their faith is tested. Adrian Rogers used to say, a faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. A faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. And for Abraham, the test was a big one. The cost was very, very high for Abram. And by the way, I'll say to you today, I'm not one of those prosperity preachers that tells you you just trust in the Lord and everything will be smooth sailing from now on. I'm going to tell you, you trust in the Lord and your faith will be tested. God will prove if it's real or not almost inevitably. He was tested as to his family. Think of how difficult it was. Abram, I want you to leave your family, your kindred, and go to another land. He not only was told to leave and separate from his family, he was told to leave and separate from his native land. Now, here's the question. 
do I love the Lord more than I do my family? And that's almost, uh, that, that almost people today, that, they don't like you to even bring the question up. You see, I was here yesterday, and about 130-some people were over here with John Roseman all day in the, in the chapel. And he was teaching parenting. And family has become sacrosanct. Family today has, has taken on, as John was teaching, uh, an image that you didn't even find in the 19, up, uh, through the 1950s. Since the 60s and 70s and 80s, we've, we've almost worshipped family in some regard. We, we've got a, a, a distorted view of what it means to rear children. I don't have time to go into it, but you heard him yesterday. He could pretty well prove that from the Bible. And here's the thing. God is saying, Abram, I know you love your family. I know you love your dad and your brothers and your what have you. But I want you to take your wife, and I want you to go to a place you've never been. I'm not even going to tell you yet where it is. Talk about a test. That would test us, wouldn't it? Some of you may be facing that test right now. Am I going to obey the Lord, or am I going to do what my family wants me to do? Family pressures, boy, in our part of the world, in small communities, family rules. It doesn't matter what the Bible says sometimes to people. The family puts an inordinate pressure upon them. He was not only tested with his family, he was tested as to his riches. Abraham, do you love me more than your substance? You've got all these herds, horses, and cattle, and and uh, all these, these riches that you've piled up. You've been a very successful man. Do you love me more than you love your business? That was the test. Talk about testing. I mean, this man is tested to the core. You love me more than your riches? Well, he proved that he did. In fact, in chapter 14, he becomes the very first tither in the Bible. The Bible says he gave tithes of all that he possessed. He loved God more than he did money. And thirdly, Abraham, I'm not going to come through for you right quick, quickly. I'm going to test you as to time. So God tested him in regard to the family, in regard to money, and in, the, in regard to time. Do you know how long he had to wait for the promise of that son? 25 years. And they're clicking along. And he says to Sarah one day, I, I, Sarah, I'm having a hard time believing. Is God really going to give us a son? <laughs> Sarah, you're 95. And God tested him. Family, time, money. And he kept the faith. Oh, he had a couple of deviations, but they were short-term. What's the old saying? If your faith fizzles at the finish, it was faulty at the first. If it fizzles at the finish, and boy, I see a lot of Christians. They live their life. They go to church. They serve the Lord, and then something happens, and it fizzled. And you go to their funeral, and they haven't been to church in five years. Isn't that sad? So sad. If it fizzles at the finish, it was faulty at the beginning, wasn't it? Well, Abraham didn't fizzle. And so as he waited, he also did something else. 
He demonstrated his faith where everybody could see it. Look, if we, if, look with me, if you will, verse number 7. Chapter number 12, verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed I will give you this land. And there builded he an altar to the Lord. There builded he an altar. And you see a pattern begin to develop. Everywhere you see Abram move now in the Bible, he moves from place to place to place. First thing he does is he builds an altar. He builds an altar. An altar was a place of worship. I wish I could convey this with the strength that I would like to. God has always had a place for his people to congregate, to meet, and to worship him. God never said, you go worship me wherever you feel led. That, the mission would never be accomplished were that to be so. God started in these early days, the patriarchal period of Israel, and they worshiped at altars. And then after they worshiped at the altars, we come to another period, and they worshiped at the tabernacle, a tent that God's people had for over 400 years. And then they built the great temple, Solomon's temple, and they worshiped in the temple. And they did that all the way through until the New Testament after the, the uh, death of Christ. And then we worship now in the church that Christ founded in Matthew chapter 16. But never has it been just worship the Lord wherever you want to and however you feel. It's always been God has a designated place where he gathers his people and where they come and they pray and they bring their offerings. And they come and they worship Almighty God and they fellowship with the people of God because this is not, this is not an individual sport. This is a team sport, this Christianity thing. We need each other. We learn to live with one another. We learn to get over the dents in our fenders and our hard feelings and the irritations that other people cause. And it makes us more Christ-like to be a part of a group. And so Abraham built an altar. And what a testimony, because every time he went to that altar, all those pagans living, living around him could see, and they said, boy, that guy's different. He goes up there, and he takes that sheep, and he kills that little sheep, and he sheds that blood, and he bows down on his knees, and he looks up to heaven, and he worships his God. But his life is different after he does that. He doesn't cheat us. He doesn't curse us. He really has something we don't have in our life. And every time you open the door and come to church, if you'll go home and live consistent with what the Bible says, people are going to say, there's something about those people. Your testimony begins at the altar. And people are observing and people are watching. Not only did he build an altar, he did something else. Look in verse number 8. And after he built the altar, he pitched a tent. He built, he provided for his family, of course. God first, family second. He pitched a tent indicating he was a pilgrim. He didn't build a house. He pitched a tent. He's passing through. He's not settling down. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through, the old song says. And Abraham epitomized that he knew that God was going to use him. 
someday somewhere else. And so he's always on the move. Reminding you and me that this world is not our final abode. The things of this world are not the things we ultimately live for. Now, faith illustrated, faith demonstrated, and tested. What about faith applied? Go back to 15.6, if you will, in your Bible. And Abram believed God. He said, amen. That's what I believe, Lord. And the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. He heard God's command. He believed it. He acted on it. And he rested on God's promises. Now, well, that it, that's why faith is essential to salvation. By grace are you saved through what? Faith. Faith is the one essential to salvation. God's grace is, from his standpoint, God extends grace. But my part, God's part is grace. My part is what? Faith. And so I hear his word. So listen to me. There's got to be a number of unsaved people in a, in a congregation this size this morning. Let me tell you how you get saved. You get saved by grace through faith. You hear the word of the Lord. You hear the gospel. What is the gospel? Christ died on, our, on the cross for our sins. He was buried for three days to prove that he was in fact dead. He rose again on the third day. And then he was seen by over 500 witnesses. Who would not like to have 500 witnesses to affirm a fact? Christ was seen alive by 500 people plus. Now, that's the facts. Now, salvation means you say, I believe that. Amen to that. I affirm that. I I rely on that. I depend upon that. I put my confidence in that. I rest on those facts that my sins were paid for at the cross and that Jesus was buried, he resurrected, and he was seen of people, which means I can believe it. 500 witnesses, I can believe it. And that's called the gospel, the good news. And so you hear that, you believe that, you act on it. And how do you act on it? Well, the Bible says the first thing you do, if you really believe that, you profess that. You, may, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that God raised him from the dead, Romans 10, uh, 13. And then you call upon on him and he will save you. And the Lord said, then you confess him before men. That's a public profession of faith. And then you follow him in baptism. That's the very first command. And so you do what the Lord said. You reenact the gospel up here in the baptistry. And, and in, in doing that, you're saying, amen, I believe what God says, and I'm acting on it, and then you rest in that. That's assurance of salvation. You rest upon that. You depend upon that. You rely on that. You don't worry about your salvation the rest of your life. Say, praise God, Jesus did it all at the cross. That's salvation. Let's bow our heads this morning, if you will.